um, so you be here tomorrow night as well as Saturday morning. Uh, these rallies are designed uh, to pull us together, keep us on course. Uh, a lot of you unable to go to conference or maybe uh, several years in between. Uh, so Pastor Mitchell and I, we go around various areas, uh, and uh, it's, it's like a mini-conference. And so we encourage you uh, strongly to be here with us um, uh, tomorrow night and Saturday morning to see what God is doing. Joel chapter 2, if you have your Bible. And uh, we're living in a desperate hour. Uh, you don't have to be a, a theologian to understand that. And uh, it seems like no arena of life has been spared. If we took time this evening, we could talk about the home and divorce and children and uh, the, the crisis of marriage and, and go on and on. Our society, the, the crime, the drugs, the schools, morals, uh, perversion, and, and uh, men and women, people doing things that were unimaginable to me as a young man. Added to that, uh, terrorism, the economy, and the political arena. God only knows again what's going to transpire politically the next year. Be very easy for there to be a tipping point and this nation to spin off. The church, if you're following any of the press, the church by and large today seems to be filled with scandal. I was in the Prescott prayer tent uh, at conference time and I was praying and about some of these matters and I was asking God, you know, God, we desperately need revival in America. We need you to come down. And I felt like God whispered a statement to me and it kind of caught me off guard and the statement was humility is a powerful weapon in my hand. And you know how sometimes you're praying and it's like God will just drop something, a statement in your spirit. I begin to ponder that and begin to digest that. And it seemed to be as if God was saying, if I can find humility, I can send revival once again to this nation. So this sermon tonight is, is very simple and it's a call. To the people of God. Will you be a spiritual weapon. In the hands of God. Joel 2 verse number 12. Now therefore says the Lord. Turn to me with all your heart. With fasting. With weeping. And with mourning. So rend your heart. And not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Great of kindness. And he relents. From doing harm. Verse 17. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep. Between the porch and the altar. Let them say spare your people O Lord. Do not give your heritage to reproach. And then the very familiar verses. Joel 2.28. It shall come to pass afterward. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. 
Your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. Father, we come tonight by the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray God stir us. Help me, God, tonight to speak your word. God, help me to convey your heart into these people. I pray, God, tonight that you would call us, God, to prayer and fasting, God. Call us to humble ourselves. Call us, God, to examine ourselves. Let us not, because of the affluence of our society, become a people complacent and ignorant, God, and of the tragedy and the sorrow. And the agony of the hour in which we live. God, give us revival, I pray once again. In this place, in this people, in our fellowship, God, rend the heavens and come down. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to examine first with you, humility is a powerful weapon in the hands of God. And no doubt everyone here knows that's true. If you have any knowledge of the Bible, you could start quoting scriptures right now. But humility is one of those spiritual words that we often want to claim as our own. I don't want to boast, you know, but uh, actually humble is my middle name. Until we're corrected or confronted, or we don't get our way, or something upsets us, or something goes wrong, or your wife tells you the truth about you. Amen. Don't you just love it? You can always tell how you really are when your wife or your husband wants to put a little adjustment in your life. Amen. I I know what you men do. When your wife does that, you just lift your hand and say, Oh, praise God. I'm telling you, I have an angel for a wife. I'm telling you, you're a gift from God, honey. Isn't that what you do? (laughs) You know it's not what you do. You probably start screaming at her and trying to correct her. But actually, the longer I'm saved, the more I realize how elusive... Humility is. It's one of those virtues, the moment you say you've got it, just by saying it, you know you don't have it. Even if you think you're humble, you're probably not. And the more you work to be humble, the faster humility seems to run away. It's one of those virtues, if you can recognize it in yourself... It's most likely not genuine and probably more kindred to pride. So what is humility? It means to make low. It's without arrogance. It is the absence of pride. It is one of those virtues that we cry out for many times, but is so difficult to embrace and to play out in life. Humility is how you view yourself, one man said, in the presence of God. 
It's the prodigal son returning to the father in the father's house. And the Bible said he came to himself. In other words, there was a mental adjustment as he found himself in the pig pen of life. And he said to himself as he approaches the father's house and God his father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so there that statement, uh, no doubt he's broken, uh, uh, no doubt uh, he's gone through many heartaches and agonies of his sin, but he came to himself, there was a mental adjustment from that young man who said, give me my inheritance, and he ran to prodigal living, uh, and now something is totally broken, and he says, you know what, I'm not even worthy to be called your son, simply allow me to be a servant in your house. It's John the Baptist when he's speaking of Christ Jesus, uh, and he says, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. It's the centurion whose servant is home. He's paralyzed, uh, and uh, he's dreadfully tormented. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Matthew 8, 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. All of these are reflections of humility, although the word's not there. But humility is not inferiority. It's not insecurity. It's not the lack of godly ambition and vision. It's not the absence of a desire to accomplish for God. It's not an illness. It's not a complex. It's not self-pity. But it's a revelation that positions your heart in the presence of God. Humility will put your ministry in perspective. When God begins to use you, And no doubt the majority of you in this place are in some kind of ministry or you hope or aspire to be. You can hear it in Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He's writing, he says, I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. But it's like later... In, in Ephesians, as he grows in God, he even drops the term apostle. He said in Ephesians 3.8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's like the closer Paul got to God... And the more he was able to accomplish for God, the less worthy he felt of this privilege. In other words, one of the marks of real spiritual maturity is not pride and arrogance, but it's a mentality in the presence of God. God, I can't imagine that you brought me to this place. It's beyond belief. I'm the least of all the apostles. Then he says, I'm the least of the least of all the saints. Humility is captured in a statement that's recorded about King Saul by Samuel in the Old Testament. 
Saul has been disobedient concerning the Amalekites. You know the story. I won't belay you with all of that. But now he's coming back. God said, I don't want you to bring any spoils back. He's coming back and and he's arguing with the prophet Samuel. And Samuel says, what's that I hear bleeding? And Saul begins to build his case. 1 Samuel 15, 16, Samuel says, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord has said. The next verse, when you were little in your own eyes. Were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? In other words, he said, when you were. In other words, something has shifted to the worst in Saul's spirit. He said, when you were little in your own eyes, God was able to anoint you. God was able to give you dominion and authority. He set you over the tribes of Israel. But now, Saul, something is shifted. Before, you were so grateful. Just any ministry. Just to be in the house of God. You remember those days? Just to be able to go to church and feel like, hey, maybe I belong here. I remember when you first came to church. I can remember, I felt so out of place. And not only did I feel out of place, I thought this, I could never be in this place. I was mentioning to our church, I think it was Sunday, I can remember when Connie and I gave our first tithe offering. You know, $2.20-something cents or something. Lick the envelope. I mean, like someone was going to steal it. You know, I mean, big old letters on there. You know, Joe Campbell, Connie Campbell. You know, if we'd have had a magic marker in those days, we'd have probably used it. Can't wait for the basket to come by. I mean, you know, we're just, just, to, just, to be, just to pay tithe. Was unbelievable. Just, I mean, you know, how much money did you spend in the insanity of the world? And now, just to be able to, whew, man, look at that, honey. Glory to God. There it goes, man. See that, God? $2.27. Hitting hot licks. Just to make it to prayer that someone would invite you to their house. I mean, sane people. You know what I mean. Someone, when you go to their house, the lights are on. Not only Salt River, but I mean, the lights are on up here too. Just so appreciative. And just to be involved in ministry. To be in a drama. To be, you know, on outreach. To be asked to pray in church. I remember first time I was asked to pray in church, I, I was so nervous, man. I was just shaking. I mean, just to be able to pray in church out loud. And to be called to preach was beyond your wildest imagination. The Bible says, when you were, Saul, when you were, when you were little. Let me ask you, what are you in your own eyes tonight? Because right there, we're getting close to humility. 
What are you in your own eyes? You feel people owe you? You're always upset about something? Demanding? Things don't go your way. You sulk. You pout. You put off vibes. You make everybody miserable. I want to tell you, God can't use you. This is critical, especially in ministry. Listen to the Lord about the Lord. Philippians 2.7 is talking about Jesus. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, giving him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, those on the earth, those under the earth. If you desire anointing, if you want to be used of God, if you want to be an instrument of revival and redemption and grace in the earth, God's looking for humility. Said, Here's the Son of God said he humbled himself. Speaking to King Saul, even as Samuel's speaking to him, God is looking for a replacement. 1 Samuel 13, 14, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. In the text that I read, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. Remember, Samuel turns away, and Saul grabs his garment, and it tears. And Samuel turns back and prophesies, and it's linked to the ripping of the garment. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Listen to me. Humility carries incredible weight with God. God is attracted to humility. It moves God. He hears the humble. He says, 2 Corinthians 7, or 2 Chronicles 7, 14, very familiar. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, Then it goes through, but the first thing was to humble themselves. Turn from their wicked ways. All Then I will hear from heaven. But the first thing, God's people, he said, if they will humble themselves, God says, I'll hear them. Jesus confirms this in Luke 18. Two men went up, verse 10, to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, here's a religious man. He stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Rather than the other, everyone who exalts himself will be humble. He who humbles himself will be exalted. See, humility, there's something powerful. Humility can repent. Humility goes to the altar. 
It recognizes its need of God. Humility says maybe there could be something in here that's not right. No matter what position, no matter God how much you're using me, no matter God what you're doing through me, possibly there's still something here that needs adjustment. It needs repentance. It's hindering revival. God, it's hindering you from moving in the earth. Psalms 9, 12, he does not forget the cry of the humble Isaiah 57. I dwell in the highest and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You see, humility gains an audience with God. You want God to hear you. You want God to view you as a candidate for revival. To view you as a possible instrument through whom he could move by his spirit in the earth. He's looking for this virtue. Why is humility such a powerful weapon in the hand of God? It makes you a candidate for grace. James 4, again, very familiar, verse 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, joy to sorrow. Humble yourself. He comes back to it in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. He said He gives more grace. You know what? Grace is spiritual power. It's a portion of God's Spirit imparted. But He says He'll give more grace to the humble. You know the story of Paul. He said there's a messenger of Satan He's sent to me. He's tormenting me. He's agonizing over this. He's praying three times. There's a lot of uh, commentaries about what this was. But Paul said, the Bible said it was a messenger of Satan. Whatever the, the impact was, it was demonic. And he's praying about this demonic assault. God says those words. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, The Lord spoke, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul picks this up and says, When I am weak, then I am strong. God's power applied to human frailty is grace. It's a powerful thing with God. Paul makes an... He says, You know what? When I'm weak... I'm stronger than when I was strong. This means God says I can bestow grace in the agonies when the demons from hell assault you, when the demonic says quit, when the trials come, when the testing of your faith comes, when temptations come, when there's sorrow, when there's agony. Disappointment, fear. God says, I can bring grace. 
And that grace is more powerful than anything the demonic can bring. The most powerful experience I ever had of God's grace and mercy. And probably most of you here, not all of you aware, is when our daughter died many, many years ago. Tragically, in an accident, she was 16 years old. She fell one Sunday afternoon with some church kids. She slipped. They were hiking. She fell about 100 feet. Lived about 30 minutes. My son got to her side. She was speaking in tongues, went into eternity. I'm in the Philippines. I've never in all my days as a Christian had such a hellish assault. Just, just Not just the, the, the tragicness of losing a daughter, but the whole idea I was so far away. And, and the time of getting home, I'm on a back island there and had to fly to Manila. Pastor Mitchell hired a little plane that came in, landed in a field. They ran the goats out of the field. We got on the plane, flew back to Manila, then back to the California, back to St. Louis and the drive down to southern Illinois and all that. But my mind was exploding, inflamed with, with uh, condemnation and and unbelief, and how could you, God? And I'm preaching for you. I mean, and, and all the battles. And then there was a grace of God that came. Unearned. Only thing I did was somewhere on that plane over the Pacific, I said, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you. And the grace of God. On my wife, myself, our family, the church felt it. A supernatural where God takes a portion of himself and deposits it right in the middle of your agony, your disappointment, your sorrow, your failure. He puts it right in the middle. And at that moment, all of hell's voices and all of those fiery darts of the wicked one, they are no competition for the grace of God. God's grace. That's what Paul is saying. But humility, you see, makes you a candidate. He gives more grace to the humble. The ability to resist in weakness made strong. Grace is your portion for those who will humble themselves. He'll lift you above trials and slanders and betrayals and demonic attacks. He is able even to lift you beyond your own flesh. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Who can stop us if we find the grace of God? Zechariah 4, 7, Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone. This was the final stone in the temple with shouts of grace, grace to it. You see, it's very difficult for the demonic to find an advantage against a human being who has embraced humility. The Bible said pride goeth before a fall. 
You know, the devil can't seem to get a foothold when there's something in your spirit kindred to humility. You know, humble people are not easy offended. Some people are always offended. Everything in life offends them. Humility doesn't have to defend itself. It doesn't have to promote itself. It has great confidence in God. Humility, when offenses come and others are promoted and things happen in life, it says, you know what? This is not a big deal. There's the kingdom of God. When there's financial setbacks, when there's conflicts in life, humility survives. Has this incredible ability to resist the devil, as I said, in his lies. Humility, you don't find becoming bitter or jealous. I believe it was Pastor Kevin Foley that said in the Prescott Conference, bitterness is when your hurt becomes bigger than your God. This is not so with grace. Humility has this ability to leave things with God. Let me ask you, can you leave things with God and move on in life? Can you take things and say, you know what? This, if you're going to do anything for God, and if you're going to serve God for the long haul, you're going to have to have the, the capability of when you go through crisis or trials or, or agonies or conflicts or so, what, put whatever in them, you're going to have to be able to digest that and put that behind you and move on with God as though it never happened. That's what God does with you. He takes your sins, casts them into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. But you see, humility has this incredible ability to receive the grace of God. And it can do that. Humility will submit to God. The greatest problem that people in the church have is they will not submit to God. In our text, he says he gives more grace to the humble there in James. And he says, therefore, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. My greatest problem in dealing with people most of the time, once they break out of the the sinner mode, once they begin to focus, is somewhere along the way, they will not want to submit to what the known will of God is. And right there you'll find an absence of humility. They will not want, it could be as simple as tithing and giving. It could be as simple as, as a geographic location of the will of God. The will of God has address. It could be in submitting to some headship in a band. It's simply being faithful to God in the house of God. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. The Bible says, um, especially as we see the coming of the Lord. And so somewhere our will wants to usurp its will against the known will of God. Not talking about the unknown. I'm talking about when you know what's right. You know how you should conduct yourself. Your behavior. Where you go. What you do. Your time. 
right at that point. But you see, humility has this ability to submit to God. It's teachable. Can your pastor speak into your life? I preached a sermon a number of years ago. You never know what's in a man till you correct him. Humility can be corrected. Humility is teachable. Remember Balaam in the Old Testament? It's an incredible story. He's a prophet. Has an incredible word from heaven. I mean, speaks some prophetic things that are even to come to pass today. But he's wanting the gold and the silver. He's been promised wealth from a king, Balak. Balaam goes to God. God says, no, I don't want you to go. I don't want you even talking to this guy. I don't want you to take anything from him. He presses God and God says, no. And finally he just keeps pressing God. He says, okay, go ahead. You want to go, go. And you'll never forget this story. He's riding a donkey. And there's an angel with a drawn sword. He's going to kill this man. This angel's going to remove his head from his body. And the donkey sees it. He sees the angel. But the man of God can't. That's pride. He starts beating the animal. The animal speaks to him. Have I ever disobeyed you? I mean, when a donkey starts talking to you, you better listen. He's beating this dumb beast and this beast is talking to him. And he doesn't get it. And later, later God judges this man because he taught the Philistines, he taught the enemies of God how to defeat God's people. He told him, he said, take your handmaidens. Those that are lovely, those that are gorgeous in the flesh, have them parade around and seduce them. And you'll defeat them. Here was a man who got himself a dumb beast speaking, an angel with a drawn sword could not correct him. What about you and I? Somewhere if you serve God long enough, you're going to find yourself right here. You're going to find yourself either as Balaam, I could talk about King Saul, etc. Second Chronicles again, 7.14. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal the land. He said, if. If, what about you tonight? Are you a part of the people of God? Can God say that to you tonight? If my people, you, call by my name. If you'll humble yourself and pray. I want to close this evening. The question is how. How do we acquire humility? How can a man humble himself without becoming proud that he has? Amen. It's not easy. 
I think the key is found in our text in Joel. It's in fasting and prayer. Fasting humbles the flesh and makes you sensitive to God. I dare say there's not a marriage here. There's not a heart here. There's not a sin here, pornography, lust, that cannot be broken if you'll fast and pray. Fasting does something incredible to the flesh. Fasting and prayer, when you fast and pray, this is a powerful spiritual weapon. It humbles the flesh. It's interesting, the first sin Adam and Eve had to do with eating. Everybody said amen. Genesis 3, 3, 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and he did. Isn't that interesting? The first sin had to do with eating. Jesus, the first temptation recorded. He's in the wilderness. He's fasted 40 days. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. Here again, the, the seemed like the first temptation. Of course, he's fasted 40 days. But it had to do with eating. The Bible says, he said, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And he came out in the power of his ministry. The Bible over and over records that men and women humbled themselves with prayer and fasting. Psalms 35, 13, I humbled myself with fastings and prayer. And my prayer would return to my own heart. See, how many really want to see revival come to this nation? To your church? To our fellowship? I'm talking about where God comes down. I thank God for all He's doing. I rejoice in all that God is doing. It's incredible what God has done and is doing. But our nation, what is it, what was it said? More people are turning to crack than to, to be baptized in water. Do you want revival in your soul? Are there mountains? Are there temptations? Are there demonic assaults that are staggering you and keeping you from becoming what God would have you to be? Some of you, it's your mouth, it's your words. You know, it's amazing. You fast and pray. You're not so quick to shoot your mouth off. How many figured that out? You're not so quick to be critical. You're not so quick to build your own case um, and, and build this fantasy in your mind. Humility is a powerful thing. And fasting will humble the soul and the flesh. Fasting in prayer. Are you desperate enough to pray every morning? I wonder how many here you, go, you come to morning prayer. Best thing is at the house of God if it's totally impossible, even in your own. I wonder how many here you could revolutionize your whole life if you just pray every morning. You could change your whole life if you just pray every morning. 
if you just lay hold of God. Is that so difficult? See, the flesh hates it. Flesh hates. I just mentioned fasting and, and half of you already, you've gone to some place to eat. <laughs> True, in your mind. You're already there. You're already spending money. That ought to give you a clue. There wasn't one amen when I said fasting. Not one. That ought to tell you something. But fasting and prayer can change your church. It can bring revival. It can break bondage and demon spirits that lock up your congregation and the people in it. Bible is filled with this truth. Here's Nineveh. You know the story in the book of Jonah. God came to Jonah and he said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell him I'm going to judge him. Forty days and I'm going to overthrow this, this. It was a metropolitan city of those days. Jonah goes, you know, after all the difficulty he goes, he begins to preach. God's going to judge this city. Jonah 3, 5, the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, set in ashes. He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, Taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way. From the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent. And turn away from his fierce anger. So that we may not perish. Then God saw. Here, God said, I'm going to destroy them. They're a wicked bunch. And they begin to fast and pray. And you know the story? The Bible says the whole city repented. Cornelius, the revival that came to the Gentiles, Acts 10, the whole thing with Peter, the housetop and the angels and and Cornelius, I mean, there was prejudice. There was everything imaginable working. You know the story, Cornelius, he's there and he's praying, laying hold of God. So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Isn't that interesting? Here's an angel that shows up. There's a sheet from heaven to break Peter down. There's all kinds of supernatural manifestations and assistance. And he said, I was fasting and praying. What about you? Do you fast and pray? You got a day a week that you fast? A day a month? I know we have a three-day fast, our fellowship, every six months. How, but how many of you even make that? 
Are you praying? In our text, Joel 2.28, It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. After what? After verse 12, Now therefore says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord. Consecrate a fast, verse 15. Call a sacred assembly. Isaiah 58, 6. I'm closing. Is this not the fast that I've chosen? Listen to what a fast can do. Fasting and prayer. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. That break every yoke. Some of you got loved ones. You got sons and daughters. Moms and dad. Husband and wife. And they're bound. Just like that says. They're bound by wickedness. They're collapsed under heavy burdens. They're oppressed. He said, is this not the fast that I have chosen? It can loose those bonds of wicked. It can undo heavy burdens. It can let the oppressed go free. How bad do you want revival? Said, let the priest who minister weep between the porch and the altar. The altar was the private. The porch was the public. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage a reproach. The exact opposite is happening in our nation, even as I speak tonight. The people are not being spared, and our Christian heritage is becoming a reproach. Would you call yourself a man or woman of prayer and fasting? Would you say in light of what I preach tonight that you're a spiritual weapon in the hands of God? When trials come, when agony comes, when difficulty comes, is the first thing you do is fall to your knees and begin to cry out to God and consecrate a fast. Or is it to get angry or upset or to blame or to go off, to run. What's the first thing you do when hell fires at you or your loved ones or your church? Do you fall down before God and consecrate a fast and begin to pray? You're following up on people and they just can't seem to break through. They just can't, They, you know, have a hundred save and two show up. Does that move you to fast and pray? Does that move you to lay hold of God? Or is it just chemistry? Give them a phone call, drop by, say hello. Do you fast and pray for their soul? Do you lay hold of God? Do you ask God for wisdom? Do you ask God to give you words? Words that would... You could speak as an instrument of God that would capture their heart and break the bondage. Is it even in, is it part of your spiritual walk with God? Is it a part of your theology that, hey, I can fast and pray and I don't care what hell's doing. This is more powerful. I can position myself in fasting and prayer and God will come down. God will move. 
He'll pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters prophesy, old men dream dreams. On my handmaidens, I'll pour out my Spirit in those days. But before that, God says, I'm looking for a people who will sanctify fast and pray and lay hold of God. You know, we're foolish if we think we can bring revival or set people free by carnal or physical means. You're not going to win spiritual battles without spiritual weapons. No matter how much theology you know, and that's good, personality, giftings, talents, charisma, you will not win spiritual battles Victories with 12-step programs and psychology. and You're not, that cannot touch the spiritual arena. That's the best man can do. I'm challenging you tonight. Crying out to you. Listen, our nation, you may not realize it. You may be sheltered. But our nation is on the brink. And just a little nudge. And this whole thing called the United States of America could spin totally out of control. God help us. God help us. God help us. Ask you to bow your head with me this evening.